Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you and everybody joining us at all of our locations. I, I wanna just start by celebrating, and that is this last month, uh, we had over 235 first-time families at our At The Movie series. You guys were inviting people, just inviters. So look, you know, we, we, we believe that God's church should be growing, and the way you grow it is through guests and babies, and you guys are getting busy. Both ways. I mean, the nursery is packed and seats are getting full in three services. My goodness, just God is it. But even better than that, so many salvations, so many water baptisms, and, and, and so many people saying, hey, I'm ready to take a next step. And so if that's you and you're here and you are a guest, we're so thrilled to have you. And here is my, uh, is, is, here's my challenge to you. Uh, give it a year. If you're, if you're trying to get back into church, or, or maybe it's this church, give, give it a year. Engage the process of, of knowing him more deeply and, and taking next steps with Timber Creek. Engage the process, and Jesus will transform you from the inside out. That's not my guarantee, that's his guarantee. And we're here to help you get there. That's it, we're, we're here to be a tour guide on that journey of what Jesus wants to do in your life. Uh, this is the first time I'm preaching in the last four weeks live. It's the first time having three services preaching live. I feel like I gotta put a rhino into a shoebox on my time right now. I feel like a mosquito at a nude beach. I know what to do. I just don't know where to start because I got a lot to say. We have been in a series called When in Rome, but today we're, we're moving what I'm calling a divine interruption with the whole culture and the climate of, of Israel at war, and people are talking about it. The first few hours is, is shock. Oh my God, what is happening with this surprise terrorist uh, 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 from hell attack on the people of Israel and and. Like, how does the church respond? What, what's, um, is this a, what do you say in a message about these things? And, and what should we say? Should we say anything? The answer is absolutely yes. The church should speak to cultural and even political issues uh, from a biblical perspective. And so I wanted to, with the time we have, I could go several different routes, um, but I'm just gonna go one today. We, we could try to unpack this whole thing. We don't have enough time, especially with three services. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna go one direction. But, but you know, I know I've had it asked of me quite a bit when all of this is really heated up. It's not the first time that Israel's been in a war like this, but this is not, and this has not been the first time this question has been asked. But the big question has been, hey, is this is the end near? Like, is this, is this like the beginning of, of, of the end? I, I could turn this message that way. I'm not going to. In a couple of weeks, when we look at Romans chapter 13, uh, there's a piece of there that Paul talks about the end times. And so in a couple of weeks, I'll talk about signs of the end times, but that's not what this message is, is for today. But let me tell you this. Someone's generation is gonna be the last generation. Someone's generation. The church has been saying since Jesus ascended into heaven and the angel said he will come back again in the same way. People have been saying, when is he coming back? And they've been looking. Someone's generation is going to be the last generation. And these are birthing pains, labor pains of the conception, the birth of a new heaven and a new earth, the birth of the second coming of Christ. And it's important that we 
we pay attention. Truth is, you and I are, are kind of wired with humanity to think past, present, and future. We do look at the past. We deal with the present. We look forward into the future. But the way God sees things, he's, he's looking at the beginning and he's looking at the ending. He's alpha and omega. So he has a different perspective. We don't know. Only God knows. But these are signs of the times. Another question is, why is Israel so important? Um, it's obviously important to the people of Israel. Why is it so important to the nation, uh, to the USA? Why, why is it important to Christians? I mean, why is it that a nation the size of New Jersey that, could, that you could fit 31 and a half times into the state of Texas? Why is there such a global presence? Why is there such a focus on that tiny little seemingly small and unimportant piece of land. Well, the truth is what we're stepping into, what we're seeing is just kind of the collateral of the most complex geopolitical conflict in the world. The, the complexities of the borders, the complexities of the vitriol and the hatred, the cry for peace and the refusal of peace. Uh, the conflict here is the most complex global conflict that exists in the world today. And it's way beyond more than politics. This isn't a political message, this will be a biblical message. It's way more than political stuff today. It is a prophetic significance. There's something about God showing this is how it started, this is how it's going, this is how it's gonna end. And from Genesis to Revelation, he lays out like with prophecy, meaning the word prophecy means there's something stated that hasn't happened yet, but through divine act of God, there's something gonna happen beyond this current horizon, beyond what we can see right now. There's something divine that has been planned by God since the beginning of time, the same way that the book of Revelation says, before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God was slain. It, it wasn't uh, kind of a, hey, what do you think about this halfway through the creation of the world that God had a plan to send his only son as the ultimate sacrifice for humanity before he even created humanity. He knew it was gonna require something of value to show how much we are valued by him. It's way more than uh, disputed territory and who owns the land. Let me just tell you, God owns the land. Way beyond this land is your land or this land is my land. It's God's land. It is God's land. That's why it's so important to God. And it's deeply sacred and religious, not just to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel. It is deeply sacred and religious to the, to the deepest seated enemies of Israel. Both find it sacred. Both find it religious. And they will die for those beliefs. Furthermore, despite what we may think, <laughs> The world doesn't revolve around the old USA. I know, crazy, crazy. Isn't it wild? We used to think even astronomers, like, like, like everything revolved around the world. <laughs> you know, uh, we think everything revolves around. Now we have a major responsibility as a leader of the free world, this nation. We have a huge responsibility to lead well. But this ain't about us. And it's a lot bigger than us. 
Truth is, many of God's plans unfold in that land. When you think about history, from the Garden of Eden to Noah and the Ark to the entire carving out of the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, having been born in Bethlehem within eyesight of the city of Jerusalem, born into a Jewish family. Jesus was Jewish. He was born in that land, and he, he walked those streets in Jerusalem, and he, was, he taught in those streets. He walked on the water in, in the Sea of Galilee there in the nation. He was beaten and tortured and crucified, and he was buried, but he also rose again and he ascended from the Mount of Olives into heaven and the Bible says that he ain't coming back in Kentucky that someday God is coming back Jesus is coming back and he is going to come back in the same place he ascended on the Mount of Olives this is a critical area of God's plan and the enemy of God Satan himself would love nothing more than to try and thwart God's plan. Newsflash, he's not. As much as he will try, God is in full control. God will always have the last word. Our response as followers of Jesus, not only citizens of heaven, but citizens of this nation, the way we respond is significantly important. Scripture says in Psalm 121, he'll not let your foot slip. He who, teach, who, he who watches over you will not slumber. Can I say to you just as a personal thing, this isn't gonna be a history lesson. Uh, this is for you and your heart first, and then we go out from there. It starts in our own Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. It starts in our own hearts first. And I want you to know he watches over you. You don't wake him up and surprise him. He doesn't sleep on the job. He's in control. And this same God, indeed, he who watches over Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. So the question we're asking, why is Israel so important? That's a good question. But let's not answer that question. Let's answer a, a stronger question, a more important question. The, the question is, why is Israel so important to God? Why is this thing so important to God? So I wanna take you on a journey. You can take your fill in the blanks on your worship guide and follow along. If writing down stuff isn't your thing, that's okay, just fill in the blanks anyway. <laughs> Why is Israel so important? We're gonna gallop through this and then we're going to end in not only personal prayer over our eyes and our heart, but over, over the world and in particular, uh, the people in the Middle East. Okay, so let's start here. Let's, let's get a biblical foundation and let's start with this. Why is it so important to God? Well, first of all, God is a God of promises. He's not just a God of ideas. He's not just a creative genius. He's not just a God that says bow down. He has promised things. 7,000 promises from Genesis to Revelation and he has not broken a single one of them. He is a God of promises. Scripture says in Hebrews, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. It's part of his character. Furthermore, 
Because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. And so when God says, this is the way it's gonna be, I'm gonna make it this way, you can take it to the bank. You can lean on a lot of things. You can lean right, you can lean left, but you should lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, you should submit to him because he's a God of promises that will make the path straight. You can go all in on the God that keeps his promises. And even though we could unpack many promises from scripture today that apply to you, I want to really come to this root promise, this foundational keystone promise of God that really, when you walk backwards in time from current day uh, Israel and Palestinian conflict into before Israel was even uh, an idea, we get to this promise that, 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 that launched all of this history. You can write it down. God's promise to Abraham is a huge uh, keystone promise. And we read about this promise to Abraham so you don't get it confused. Abraham was first called Abram and his wife was Sarai. But after they had their, their son Isaac, uh, God changed their name to Abraham and Sarah. I'm just gonna call them Abraham and Sarah. I might interchange it, but they're the same people, just to let you know. Abraham grew up in a pagan home. He was not serving the one God. Uh, he, did not, he, he did not serve. In fact, he grew up in a, uh, a house that worshiped the moon. Their, their family um, in that area, in that region, and even in some of the uh, uh, lineage stuff that you read about in the, in the life of Abram, you discover that their, their worship would have been to the moon God. And the one true God of the universe visits Abram. And here's how it lays out. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, go forth from your country, where you are right now, from your relatives and from your father's house. It's time to separate out of that. And I want you to go somewhere and I'm gonna give you some promises now, and here's what you're to do. You're gonna go to the land which I will show you. I have chosen a specific land for you. I'm God, I get to choose. And I will make you a great nation. So you're not gonna have, to, Abram's 75 years old at the time. Anybody 75 in the house today? God bless you. What would you think about having a kid right now? No, of course not. Abraham's 75. God's saying, your wife's gonna get pregnant. When she hears it, she goes, she laughs. She goes, this oven ain't baking no bread. What you talking about? But sure enough, I'm gonna make a great nation. I'm only gonna give you a land. I'm gonna make you a great nation and you're gonna be a blessing and I'm gonna bless those who bless you. And I'm gonna curse those who curse you. Like this is the word of God. And in all, in you, all the families in you, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is way beyond Abraham's lineage, beyond Abraham's certain race. This is a promise, a prophecy that through your relatives, somebody's gonna come to bless all the nations. His name is Jesus. And that's a prophecy of our Messiah coming. And so this Abrahamic covenant or promise 
It's echoed all throughout scripture. And there are three key pieces to this promise. Here are the three pieces. The first piece is a promised land. I'm gonna give you a land. The second piece is a promised lineage. I'm gonna make you a nation. I'm going to, I'm going to be the God of this nation and, I, and I'm inviting all the other people groups to serve this one true God, your God. Your God is the one on, only God. That a promised lineage and through that lineage would become would come a promised Lord. A promised land, a promised lineage, a promised Lord. This promise isn't just to Abraham. It is echoed 2,000 different times in the Old Testament, and it is given to us 700 different times in the New Testament. That was the promise of God. He took it, ran with it. The rest is history. It's all been good and golden and slow motion runs through daisies and buttercups. No, there's been all kinds of tumult all kinds of stir, all kinds of ups and downs, destructions and rebuilding. The question we have is, what happened? What happened? God made a promise and it was yes and amen. And he keeps his promises, but why has there been so up and down? Well, this is something critical you need to understand to understand even the Bible, to understand your own life, to understand your own temptations. Write it down. What God creates, because he's a creative God, and when God creates, when God creates a promise, when God cre creates humanity, whatever God creates, the truth is there is an enemy. He is real. His name is the devil. He is Satan. And whatever God creates, Satan is hell-bent to counterfeit it. Satan wants to counterfeit whatever God creates creates. God creates a perfect place. All of the angels worship me. Everybody, all the angels are worshiping. Satan was the chief worship leader. Watch out for those worship leaders. <laughs> chief worship leader, but Satan says, no, 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 no. I, I, want, I want people to worship me too. He wants to counterfeit, substitute, bring an alternate opportunity in the moment. Bible says Satan fell like lightning from heaven. I mean, that's fast. The moment God understands, oh, you want to be worshiped? You're done. And he falls from, falls from heaven and Satan and the, 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 the angels that came with him, now his demons, they're real. And whatever God creates, when God creates life, and God creates boundaries in the garden. Satan wants to counterfeit that and say to Adam and Eve, oh, there's a better way that you can live free. You can live free if you do your own thing. You can be just like God. Why, why have to be lowered? I've got, a better, I've got an alternative. I've got, it's a counterfeit, but oh, no, no, no. This is what you can do. Every time God create, he created us to choose to love him. Satan counterfeits and gives you an opportunity to choose to love you and you be your God. Anything else to be your God, whatever you worship, whatever you give your focus to, whatever you give your devotion to, whatever is your platform for stability, significance, and love and hope, that becomes your God. And so this promise was a God-created promise, and God's promise was Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and they're going to give birth, okay? Now, what can happen when a promise comes? We have a timetable, and God has a timetable, have you ever been in the waiting room for, with God, waiting for him to show up the way that you thought he promised something and it's been a while? Anybody ever had a waiting room moment? 
Anybody waiting for a miracle? Anybody waiting for something to come true? Anybody waiting for their son to come back to Jesus? Anybody waiting for something to be healed? Anybody waiting for some kind of breakthrough, waiting for an answer and you're in the waiting room and you can get tired in the waiting room. And many times, even with Adam and Eve, walking around with 29,500 different species of trees in the garden, they couldn't wait on God's promise. They had to take it into their own hands. This is exactly what happens with Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Okay, that's where she was already for as long as they had been married. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And this is where we enter into a possible alternative, a, pos a counterfeit that Satan wants to use. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. How quickly... Can we be in a waiting room and all of a sudden we're blaming God when it's us that are becoming impatient and we haven't been able to see the thing come to full term yet? But she said, the Lord's kept me from having children. No, the Lord has got you in a holding pattern right now. So here's her answer. Sarah says to her husband, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, Abraham being the man of, the, of God, God of the promise. He said, uh-uh-uh, baby girl. I only have eyes for you. He didn't say, uh-uh, excuse me. No, we're standing on the promise of God. I'm the head of this house. I'm gonna tell you how it is. We're gonna trust God through this. We ain't doing no alternative. That's not really his answer. As a matter of fact, it's a little scary how quickly the next verse comes, but the very next verse, it says, Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. I like the way, he, I, I don't know if he was stuck. I don't know if he forgot to take his boots off before he took his jeans off. He's run, you know, jumping through the living room to go to Hagar's tent or not. But he didn't like oppose it either. So what enters this whole deal? A counterfeit opportunity for them to, to, to man make the promise of God. That's Satan's counterfeit. And that's Abraham and Hagar. Now, follow me. We're gonna go up and down on this piece on your fill in the blanks. We're gonna go in and out a little bit. So hang with me. And I've probably forgotten a blank or something in there. So I apologize for all of you OCD people, okay? Like I, I, I are one, okay? So here's what happens. Abraham and Hagar, they get together. Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. When she got pregnant, she, she kind of started flaunting a little bit, showing up a little late for breakfast. And Sarah's like, hey, I thought it was your responsibility to, to cook this morning. She's like, oh, the baby, though. I'm just like, I'm trying to be easy on my feet. And you want to feel him kick? You don't? Mm. Yeah. Abraham and I are going to be talking about it a little later. Like, like, like it's, 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 a, it's kind of a, all of a sudden, man, I can barely keep one wife happy. You want to talk about a wife and a mistress in the house, pray go. Woo! Careful, Abraham. Careful what you wish for. Careful what you want to try and make your own substitute, your own alternative. I got my own plans, God. I can do it. It causes conflict in the family. And that conflict never stops. Scripture continues. Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible. <laughs> Wait a second, wait a second. I think I've had this conversation with my wife before. This is your fault. I, I was like, I thought you're the one that said, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. 
I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. How could you do this? How could we do this? And just a side note, just interesting. Don't make this into some kind of Da Vinci Code weird deal. People take stuff out of context. But just so you understand, the Hebrew word in this line, in the original language, here's how it reads. You're responsible for the Hamas I am suffering. Which Hamas means violence, disruption, turmoil, tumult. Now, Hamas is an acronym of a radical Islamist group. It's, a, it's an acronym in Arabic. But is not, I don't believe it's just coincidental that that Hamas acronym also in Hebrew uh, translates into violence and suffering and wrongdoing. I put my slave in your arms. Now that she knows it, she des- despises me. Well, do with her whatever you think best. Way to be a man of the house, Abram. I don't know, you take care of it. So what does Sarah do? She mistreated Hagar back. So Hagar fled from Sarah. Hagar ran out of the camp. This is wrong on both sides, okay? The angel of the Lord, though, found Hagar. Interesting. Hagar, a substitute, can I tell you, though, there's not one person on the face of the planet that doesn't have the eye of God on. There's not one person you'll ever lock eyes with that doesn't deeply matter to God. Whether they are in response to taking matters into their own hands or not, God values every single soul. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where where have you come from and where are you going? This is where Cotton Eye Joe uh, got their lyrics. Where you come from, where you go? Sorry, moving on. (laughs) I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she said. And then the angel of the Lord told her, no, 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 no. Go back to your mistress, submit to her. And now the angel added, he adds something here. Watch what the angel of God says to her. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Like, I'm gonna take care of you. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you're gonna give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. The angel of the Lord himself, which we believe is a pre-visit of Jesus, like it's, it's Jesus before he was in the flesh. This is Jesus speaking that you shall name him Ishmael. Wow, God chose the name of the son who should never have been born He'll be a wild donkey of a man though. Now, do you hear the promise that God is making? God is making a promise. But it's a promise as a result of a counterfeit. He's gonna be a wild donkey of a man and his hand is gonna be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he's gonna live in hostility toward all his brothers. God's, God's making a statement here. And so, sure enough, Abraham and Hagar, following that that substitute, we have Ishmael is born. And Ishmael, for the next 13 years, is going to be the only child in the home. He's gonna grow up and win the love of the whole family. Abraham's gonna teach him how to hunt. 
gonna teach him how to carve wood, gonna teach him how to, uh, how to do what he does. 13 years later though, 13 years later, Sarah has still not given birth. And Abraham fell face down, he kinda laughed, he just said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? He's 100 years old now. So if you do the math, know that he was 75 when he got the promise. He waited about 12 years before Ishmael came on the scene, and now he's waited another 13 years, and he's saying, will a son be born a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And she's like, no, I don't think so. And Abraham said to God, here's here's his agreement. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Can you just let Ishmael have the blessing? This is Abraham's heart because you're not showing up, God. Look what scripture says. Then God said, yes. But, okay, God said, yes, there's something I'm going to allow Ishmael to have, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. This, I haven't forgotten my promise. This is not the substitute. And scripture goes on to say, God is saying, I will establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, my covenant. Both are your sons, but my covenant is with Isaac because I am who I am and what I say matters and who I choose, I choose and I'm God. And you can do it any way you want and you can think any way you think and you can act any way you act and I will give you the free will to do that. But the way that I have established this kingdom, the way I've established life, the way I've established humanity by being the creator of the cosmos, I get the final say on who gets the birthright and who doesn't. And it's my prerogative as God, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant, everlasting for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael though, I have heard you and I will surely what him? Mm. Careful what you wish for though. Careful the actions you take. God God still can maneuver his will through the right, the wrong, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. I'm gonna make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers, Ishmael. He's gonna be the father of 12 rulers. I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Because I have said there's a land, there's a lineage, and there's a Lord, and it's not just from anybody. I've chosen because I've chosen. It's gonna be through you, Abraham, and it's gonna be through your seed and Sarah. That's the way I've said it. It settles it. Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And sure enough, a year later, Sarah gives birth at 90 years old to Isaac. Wow. This is the fulfillment of 25 years in the waiting room. Friend, wife, you're still praying for your husband to come to Jesus. Keep praying. Keep praying. You're looking for an answer, you're hurting. You need help, you need guidance. Keep trusting. And from Isaac will come two sons, Jacob and Esau. And out of those two, who gets gets to choose the birth? 
God chooses Jacob to take the birthright. So the lineage is gonna go through Jacob, not Esau. Esau will step, step away and become his own people group and home nation. By the way, have you heard the phrase anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism, if you haven't, you're, you're living under a rock. Anti-Semitism, where we get that is from the, um, the Shemites or the Semites. When Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, it was from the line of Shem that Abraham came. So Abraham was of the house of Shem. Abraham is a Semite, a Shemite, okay? So anybody from the house of Abraham is considered a Semite. Jesus was of the house of Shem because he was of the house of Abraham. Jacob is a promise of God. God puts a promise in Jacob's lap too. And actually, not only does God give Isaac his name, not only does God give Ishmael his name, not only does God give Emmanuel, God with us, his name, uh, not only does he give Solomon a, a different name uh, when he's birthed to David, God gives Jacob a different name. He says, now as you go and you create a nation, I'm naming you something different. I'm naming you Israel. Your name, Jacob, is now Israel. And from this line will come the Jewish faith of Judaism, that's Jewish faith in the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Later, born a Jew, Jesus will come from one of the 12 sons of Israel, Judah the son, from the tribe of Judah, Jesus will come. And from Jesus, we will get the way, the truth, and the life, and Christianity is birthed from Jesus. We are here today through, through this process of establishing land, lineage, and Lord. And yet even still today, the mass majority of Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And they have chosen a different, uh, a diff waiting for a different Messiah. Waiting or simply just rejecting and becoming secular and not even following their faith. 2% of Jews are Christian. 2% of Palestinians are Christian. I'll talk about that in a second as we wrap up. Satan's counterfeit though. Hagar has Ishmael. Ishmael goes and lives his life. Jesus comes on the scene and 600 years later from, from this lineage of Ishmael, a man is born by the name of Muhammad. Muhammad will be visited by an angel in his own writings. Uh, this isn't an angel of the Lord. This is a counterfeit. This is counterfeit. And uh, Muhammad will write that, no, 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 no. Ishmael is the firstborn. Ishmael deserves the birthright. Yes, we believe in Father Abraham, and the entire Quran bases it on Father Abraham. And that Ishmael deserves to be the one. They, they write, the Quran says that it was Ishmael that was offered on the mountain. Remember when Abraham took his one and only son to show his commitment to God and he was going to sacrifice him? God would not let that happen, but he was trusting him in that. God provides a ram in the thicket and he doesn't sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. That mountain, that same mountain 
is the same mountain that the temple in Jerusalem is built on. It's the same mountain that Jesus, the son of the living God, would die on. And it's the same mountain where olives grow and we have the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane where someday Jesus not only ascended from that place, he's coming back. That mountain is important, but the counterfeit response, the counterfeit response to people taking matters into their own hands says, no, 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 we've got the God, we've got the goods. And wouldn't it be just like the enemy to provide an alternative solution to complete surrender to God of Abraham and yet completely take them away from the promise for all nations that is Jesus. And so they believe that's their mountain, that's their temple, that's their city, that's their land. And this whole dispute creates, Muhammad creates Islam and Islam and Christianity, do you know they have a very similar starting point in Abraham? Islam and Christianity, they both have denominations. In Islam, they have the Sunni and the Shiite. In Christianity, the two main categories are Catholic and Protestant. And then under there, there's all kinds. Do you know that there are some Christians that are radicals? I mean, drive 30 minutes up the road and you have the Church of Wells. Drive a few hours this way and you've got the old uh, Branch Davidian uh, Waco compound with David Koresh. You got people that take God and they twist it and distort it and provide a counterfeit and they go radical. In my own city, Wichita, Kansas, as I was living there, flash news took place on one Sunday when in a Lutheran church that I drove by almost every single day, a Christian pulled a gun out and blew the brains out of a man in the middle of the lobby of the Lutheran church. His name was Robert Tiller. Wichita was the headquarters of his abortion clinic. And under God's call, a radical Christian who wasn't really a Christian, not operating under Jesus, took matters into his own hands and, and, and felt like God had called him to assassinate Tiller the killer, the lead abortionist in America. So under the name of God, Christians have done some terrible things and Muslims have done some terrible things. This isn't about using uh, uh, this platform as a way for us to um, put a finger to the Muslims. As a matter of fact, they're loved deeply by God. God's heart breaks for Hamas, a radical Islamic group, radical, that have distorted, distorted the whole thing. And, and, and God is... God is going to have the final say in these things. The truth is, as you stem across, when we take matters into our own hands, Isaac, it was a covenant that sparked spiritual and physical war that continues to this day. It was war in the home between Hagar and Sarah. It was war between Isaac and Ishmael. The Bible even says that Ishmael mistreated, mistreated Isaac. He's 13 years old and Isaac's a baby, mistreating a child. And yet, even through this, the the promised land, promised lineage, and promised Lord, now all of the nations that surround this little nation of Israel that is massively larger and more populated, they have determined that there will be no recognition of Israel, no negotiation with Israel, no peace with Israel. How can you even come to the table? This isn't, this isn't driven by politics. This is driven, this is driven by this is driven by family dysfunction. This is driven by a 
split of God's plan and Satan's counterfeit. This is a demonic thing because whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Write it down right under that. Satan hates God's plan because if God has the final say, Satan loses and he doesn't wanna lose and he's trying to do whatever he can to thwart the promises of God from, from having all of the Jewish people, Hebrew people killed in Egypt, trying a mass infanticide, but yet Moses was chosen by God to lead the people out because God had a promise that all nations were gonna be blessed. And later, Israel would thumb their nose to God and they would be taken into captivity by Babylon and later by Rome and, and the Persian Empire. And yet in, in the 1940s, they, they would begin a process, actually in the late 1800s, would begin a process of saying, we have no place. They were scattered into 70 different nations, yet God has a plan for a land, a lineage, and a Lord. This is a miracle. This is a miracle that God would bring them all together. So I, I, listen, 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 I wish I could unpack every nuance here. What you need to know is Satan is hell bent in destroying the Jewish people because it's a promise of God. So how do we respond to these cultural moments? Write them down fast, three responses and three responses from your own chair. First one. Approach issues with a prayerful posture before a political one. The moment the news comes up, you say, oh my God, Jesus, help us. Babies being beheaded in the streets. God, help. Jesus, come back. But then about 24 hours later, we're using this as a political weight to say why our person is better than this person and why they've got it wrong and we've got it right and we make it a political issue and wouldn't it be just like a counterfeit for us to look at the White House instead of God's house, to look at a leadership that is human other than God that is divine first and foremost, who doesn't sleep, who doesn't slumber, who has the whole world in his hands and yet we wanna go to our man-made systems as quickly as possible. We have to be a part but we cannot, get, we cannot get it wrong. This is a prayerful response first, and then a political one. And then it's a humanitarian one. We're, we're looking at our partners right now, Convoy of Hope, different partners that have boots on the ground that we can help people that are in need in the middle of this crisis. We helped in Ukraine, we're gonna help here too. You can go to the Timber Creek app and you can click on the Timber Creek app after you download it, it pulls up our, our, our app. You can go down here to tools, and when you click on tools, it gives you prayer, Bible reading, fasting, resources, you name it. Click on prayer, and right down here, prayer for the world, prayer for national leadership, and prayer for Israel, we've given you a template that you can pray over to be praying over these important things. But write these down, these are so critical as we wrap up today. I'll never argue, hate, fight, or fear people into the kingdom of God. People that have a different opinion about Israel, you're not gonna fight them. Nobody in the history of ever has said, you know, I wasn't a Christian, but then somebody just ridiculed me over and over and blasted me on Facebook, and I was like, man, I'd like to get to know them more. Guard your heart from, from um, a prejudice against, against Palestinians. Many of them are Christian. Listen, we went to Bethlehem with our tour of Israel. It's in Palestinian occupation. It's a whole different ballgame. Our tour guide was a Christian, but she's Palestinian. She says, 
this, this area makes you put your faith on your driver's license. So my driver's license says Christian and um, my, my rent costs more, my food costs more. Um, I cannot go into certain places in our area uh, at night. She goes, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, but the salt is melting here. The salt is melting here. Can you stand? Would you be okay with losing the name Christian on your driver's license if it meant you got a better interest rate? Friends, this thing don't revolve around us. It's coming harder and harder to live for God in these cultural moments, but it's also becoming more and more important and he is going to have the final say. He's good and he empowers us. Look, God uses these cultural moments to rekindle my heart for the gospel to be shared. Friends, listen to me. Is the end near? If that scares you, I want you to know, don't be fearful, don't be troubled. He's overcome the world. But if your heart isn't right, now is the time of salvation. If you have chosen a counterfeit life over God's plan for your life, it is time to surrender to his promise for your life, for his plan. And that is that Jesus would be the center of it all. Now, how do I respond to the root cause of all this? Look at it. We tend to think we have a better plan than God's plan, don't we? No, no, we don't. Yeah, you do. I mean, even when Pastor Cameron was talking about the giving ladder, some of you immediately went, click. I knew the church was just after my money. I knew it, just talking about money, it's all this church is after. Easy, easy, Cletus. I don't know why I went so East Texas. I don't know why I went so hard like that. But that's how we do, like, oh yeah, I mean, God's plan is, is 10% goes to the storehouse, but pff, I got a better plan. I can do it, my, uh, I got my own opinions on that. Uh, my own opinions on marriage, my own opinions on love, my own opinions on sex, my own opinion on stuff. We tend to think we have a better plan than God's plan. That's what got Adam and Eve eating the fruit. Is there any area of my life I'm settling for something counterfeit? Where he's not number one? Any area? Any area at all? Search your heart. Invite God to search your heart. The same God that doesn't slumber over Israel. He doesn't slumber over you and he will search your heart if you will let him and open your heart up to him. The last question, what areas of my life would be more stable if Jesus were in full control? tell you which area every area open your hands to him open your heart to him open your marriage to him open your hurts to him open your needs to him o open your family to him open the prodigals to him o o o open your heart to the rekindling of the gospel that changes it is the power unto salvation it is a wicked thing that has happened against Israel. Israel has every right to defend themselves. How they are even surviving is only by the grace and promise of God. But don't get so entrenched with the political side of it that we miss out that there are souls to be saved. There is a gospel to be preached. There is people to be reached. And as men and women of God, we should engage the process and we should be salt and light to a earth that is dark and tasteless living on counterfeit blessings. Let's pray. All locations, would you bow your head with me? First, let's do business with God. If there's any area in your life you're, 
you're going with a counterfeit. I pray that God would open your eyes to that. Many times the God of this world, Satan, he blinds our eyes and we just think that we're doing what we're doing and it's normal and it's okay and it's all good. And I'm asking that God would open your eyes and your heart today. That you would see Jesus and his promises for you. In your own words, you would acknowledge, God, I, I've tried to put it in my own hands, but I want your promise to me and that is Jesus. Jesus, I, I ask you to be in the middle of my heart, center of my life, be on the throne of my kingdom. I step off of the throne and I invite you in. For those of you that um, are making that decision, I wanna give you a little direction after we pray and our campus pastors at our other locations will help you. But for all of us now, Father, we, we wanna love what you love. We wanna see what you see. Every soul matters to you. Your heart was for Ishmael and your heart was for Isaac, but it was Isaac who received the covenant blessing of God. And so God, we pray for justice to be served. We pray for as many innocent men, women, and children to be, to be uh, saved and, and to be um, protected. God, there will be collateral damage. We pray that the, 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 the forces of evil would be brought to task. We pray that vengeance is yours, saith the Lord, and we pray that you would, in your right way, with the right amount, that you would pour the accurate vengeance on those that have chosen to walk from underneath your umbrella and do your own thing and be against your heart. But God, don't let our hearts be troubled. You have overcome the world. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we look to you. And while the, the clock is still ticking, may we have a heart to reach people, love people, encourage people, share the good news that changes everything. May we be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All God's people said amen.